Your class is when God says no. So if that's what you came for, you're in the right room. We're going to open with a word of prayer. Shanks. This is Christy Elliott. We're both from Columbus, Ohio. Well, that's where we are right now. <laughs> exactly. We're going to be sharing with you um, when God says no, and I'm really going to be parking on the no, and Christy's going to be talking a lot more about not yet. So hopefully you guys um, will get a lot from this today. Uh, you know, when God says no, where do we go? Where do we go in our hearts? Where do we go in our minds? Where, we, where do we go in our thoughts? Where do we go in our prayers? Because we can go in all different directions, right? We're in this room, and we're from all different stages of life, all different parts of the journey, and we're all facing some kind of no, or we will be at some point in time. It's all very different, but it's all really important to us. Your hard or your no is different from someone else's hard and their no, but it's still hard. It's still difficult. And we need to talk about it. We need to be vulnerable. We need to share those things with each other. You know, have you ever prayed about something you really wanted? You prayed and you prayed. You begged God. You're on your knees for something, for that answer. You pleaded. You fasted. Everything you can think of. For that specific thing, that specific answer. You prayed maybe even that you would change God's heart, change his mind. Maybe he would, he would answer differently. And then the answer that you find is no. Where do we go? How do we feel? It's like, wait, what? Wait, I, felt, I thought for sure. I thought for sure that was it. Where do we go? Sometimes it's something big. Sometimes it's something little. Sometimes it's something huge. But no matter what, it's disappointing, to say the least. You know, I think about, this is just a small example, but my husband and I moved to Columbus uh, two years ago, and we started looking for a house right away, and we were kind of, the market is crazy there. It's overbidding, and, um, you know, it's it really hard to get a house. You pay more than what it's worth. Um, and so the first year we said, forget it, we're going to get an apartment. It doesn't matter. So the second year, our lease is up. I was like, well, you know, let's try again. So we look for a house again. Same thing. We're in bidding wars with people. We lose houses. But then I found this house. And I was sure that this was the one for me. I fell in love with it. I wrote a personal letter. 
to the, hey, this is what I would do with your house. It's you. This is what you've done with your house that I love. You know, everything that I could possibly say to this um, seller. Send the letter. And, of course, we get overbid by a lot of money. And my re initial response was devastated. No, that's my house. I'm so sure that was it. I cried and cried. I could not let it go, but it was it. And I even tried calling back the realtor, say this. What if you said, you know, all the ways I can manipulate the situation to make it work. And the answer was no. And I didn't like it. But that's kind of where I was at the moment. And so... Fast forward, we kind of decided to stop at that point. I was like, I've been dis discouraged and disappointed so many times. I can't do this anymore. I'm done. Well, not too long after that, our realtor came to us and said, hey, I have this house. It's off the market. It's in your area. It's in your budget. Do you want to look at it? I know the realtor. She said, you can come look at it, even if it's off the market. And so we went and looked at it. And it was not, it's a fixer-upper, um, but it was our house. And so we put an offer at asking. We got that. It was so simple and so easy. When we do it God's way, it can be simple and easy, but we fight for our way so many times. You know, so that was kind of one of my no's. Um, but how do we respond? What do we do? We can freak out, right? We can spiral out of control. We can cry. We can panic. Sometimes we want to stop praying altogether. There are those prayers where we're like, forget it. He's not listening. He doesn't care. Or we can be on the opposite side where we strong arm it. Okay, fine, that's whatever. It's fine. I'm just, we don't feel anything at all. We don't allow ourselves to go to, through the process of feeling it and dealing with it and, and feeling the emotions that come along with that. Well, if or when that no happens for you, it, it may be one of the hardest things that you ever face in your life. And... There are many instances in the scriptures, I'm sure you can think of right now, of the no's that God said to many faithful people that we love. Hebrews 11.13 mentions that there are many people who lived and died faithfully without ever receiving the promise. That could be for us. That could be our answer. What I want to talk about today is David. So many wonderful things about David, but he heard the Lord's no on several occasions. So if you wouldn't mind turning to 2 Samuel 12, I'm going to reference a little bit, but then we're going to get into some of that scripture there. But this is where David, he sees Bathsheba. She's on, she's on the rooftop, she's bathing, and he's like, yeah. She's married, and he sends for her. And she comes over, and they lay together, and she gets pregnant. And so David has her husband killed. By putting him in the front lines. Kind of a scary place to be. But later on she has the son. She has their son. And the son becomes ill because God says he's going to have to die. But David prays and he fasts and he begs God for his life. He's praying, maybe I can change God's mind. Maybe there's just some glimmer of hope. But God says no. And the boy dies. So we're going to pick up in 2 Samuel 12, starting in verse 20 through 25. Then David got up from the floor, washed himself, put, on, put lotions on, and changed his clothes. Then he went to the Lord's house to worship. After that, he went, from, went home and asked for something to eat. His servants gave him food, and he ate. David's servants said to him, 
why are you doing this? When the baby was still alive, you fasted and you cried, and now the baby's dead and you get up and eat food? David said, while the baby was still alive, I fasted and I cried. I thought, who knows? Maybe the Lord will feel sorry for me and the baby will live. But now that the baby's dead, why should I fast? I, can bring him back. I can't bring him back to life. Someday I will go to him, but he cannot come back to me. Then David comforted Bathsheba, his wife. He slept with her and had sexual relations with her. And she became pregnant again, and they had another son, whom David named Solomon. The Lord loved Solomon. The Lord sent word to Nathan the prophet to name the baby Jedidiah because the Lord loved the child. Very impactful response to a no, right? God's answer was no. He longed, he begged, he fasted, he cried, he pleaded, but the answer was no. He loses a child here. This is a life. That's a bad thing, right? That's what we think. This answer is bad. That's a bad no. Someone dies. How could he allow this to happen? Doesn't he love me? Doesn't he love mankind? What good can come from this? You know, we doubt with God's no. We want to quit. We question God. We don't understand because it's not meant for us to know. You know, I think about um, 13 years ago, I took in my sister's three children as my own. They were two, four, and five. And I made a commitment. I'm going to raise these children. They had a lot of mental health issues, and we had a lot of challenges. It was a struggle. Well, about nine years ago, actually, sorry, five years ago, we moved around a lot with them, you know, and uh, moved to Toledo, back to our hometown, um, or back to our home state, Ohio. And my sister filed for custody to get them back. And I was kind of like, yeah, that, okay, she's not fit. This, this can't happen. Um, this isn't going to work out for her, but I'll go, you know, let's do the thing. We went to court. We did all that. And um, she won. And she got custody of all three of the kids, and that rocked my world. I was like, wait a second, God. There's no way that this can be good. There's no way that this answer is right. There's nothing good that can come out. I really question God at the, at the root and at the heart. I question God on every account because it made no sense to me. And honestly, I'm still in a desert with this. I don't know what the answer is or why that happened or how it's good. But what I do know is that God is sovereign and that God loves me. And that everything that comes from God is good, especially and even in the nose. You know, we look at David here. He lets go. He lets go in that instant, in that moment. It has to be because he was fasting and he was praying and he was so close to God. that when he got the answer, he's like, okay. He lets it go. He moves on. He moves forward. He has another child. You know, God's answer was no, even though he longed for a yes. David stopped. He grieved. I think that's important for us. We've got to grieve. Some of these losses, some of these no's are huge for us. David knew his God, and he knew he was always good. He loved his God, even if he was disappointed. And he remembered all that he had done, all that God had done for him, all that he had brought him from, all he had allowed him to do up to this point. He remembered. It's so important for us to remember 
He had to step back and look at the big picture and know that God was orchestrating something amazing, even in the no. You know, after four decades of service as a king over Israel, David brings his people together for the last time. We're going to look at another time that um, David gets to hear a no. And it's pretty significant as well. If you turn with me to 1 Chronicles 28. And we're going to skip around a little bit. This is a lot of reading, so I, I definitely want to dig in the scripture, but there is a lot here. Um, starting in, in verse 2 here. King David rose to his feet and said, Listen to me, my fellow Israelites, my people. I had it in my heart to build a house as a place of rest for the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, for the footstool of our God, and I made plans to build it. But God said to me, You are not to build a house for my name, because you are a warrior and have shed blood. God tells him no. Yet the Lord, the God of Israel, chose me from the whole family to be king over Israel forever. He chose Judah as a leader from the tribe of Judah. He chose my family, and from my father's sons, he was pleased to make me king over Israel. Of all my sons, the Lord has given me many. He has chosen my son Solomon to sit on the throne of the kingdom of the Lord over Israel. He said to me, Solomon, your son, is the one who will build my house and my courts, for I have chosen him to be my son, and I will be his father. I will establish his kingdom forever if he is unswerving and carrying out my commands and laws, and it is being done at this time. So now I charge you in the sight of Israel and the whole assembly of the Lord, and in hearing of your God, be careful to follow all his commands of the Lord your God, that you may possess this good land and pass it on as inheritance to your descendants forever. And you, my son Solomon, acknowledge the God of your father and serve him wholehearted, with wholehearted devotion. And with willing mind, the Lord searches the heart and understands every desire and every thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. Consider now, for the Lord has chosen you to build the house and sanctuary. Be strong and do the work. And there's a lot more reading in the details as we go further down. I'm just going to kind of skip a little bit. But in 11, it says, Then David gave him, his son Solomon the plans. In 12, it says, he gave them the plans of all the spirit had put on his mind for the courts in the temple of the Lord. In 19, it says, all this, David said, I am writing as a result of the Lord's hand on me. And he enabled me to understand all the details of this plan. And then going to chapter 29, the next chapter in two, it says, with all my resources, I provided for the temple of God. And then in three, it says, I now give my personal treasures. And I skipped around because David is giving his, his dream. He's giving it away. He's handing it to someone else. He's handing it over to his son. But he's giving away everything. The Spirit told him. The Spirit had put his hand on him. God has directed him in the plans. He gave his own... Um, he gave his own personal treasures that he had collected. Every single part of him was involved in this process, this dream of building the temple of God. And God said, no, you've got to give it away. And I think, think about for us, if we were in that same position, you know, a job, maybe you're at your work and you've 
put all this effort into a project all the time, all these extra hours, you know, and then someone else gets the credit. Or you hand it over, okay, you're going to carry this out, and actually your name's going to be on it. It's going to be the whatever project, and I'm not going to be in it at all. Ah, where do we go in our hearts? Where do we go in our, in our minds, in our souls? Where do we go? You know, he gave away his personal treasures. And then in verse 9, the most telling, I think, of this scripture, the people rejoiced at the willing response of their leaders, for they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. He did all of this passed it on, gave it away, let go of it, and greatly rejoiced. Wow, this is the heart we want. This is what we desire to be. David had a dream. He was passionate about it. He longed for it. It was his heart's deepest desire. God personally gave him every single detail of this beautiful plan, but he would die without ever seeing it come to pass. He gives it away. He gives it to some young man who's inexperienced, and he's not really sure how it's going to end up. But his faith isn't in the man. His faith is in God. He knows God will make sure the temple is built. But he hands it over, and he greatly rejoices. How would we feel? How would we be able to do this? Imagine working so hard on something and giving it away to some young guy inexperienced you know even if it's your child it's still the same thing you know and so I think about passing on a dream and for me it, it taps a little bit into so I had this big dream in my life of when my kids get older they're going to be disciples and they're going to have kids and we're all going to live in the same town and I'm going to babysit and it's going to be like this is I really really believed that this was going to happen <laughs> And my kids can go anywhere. You know, they've been all over the place. Um, and I was like, they can do anything, whatever they want right now. But once they have my grandchildren, we're all going to be settling down. So my daughter, my oldest daughter, just had our first grandchild. He'll actually be a year old this month. And um, she lives in Paris, France. And so all leading, I knew, I mean, they've been over there. They've done internships. They've, they're passionate about the mission field. They love the mission field. So I knew that they would end up there at some point. But I kind of, in my, in my own thoughts, in my own heart, felt like, well, when they have a child, they'll probably want to just stay close to me because <laughs> that makes sense. And, um, and because we're close and, of course, you know, this is going to happen my way. Um, but, you know, as soon as she found out she was pregnant, um, they made the decision, we're going we're gonna to move to Paris in, you know, in a year. And so, basically, I would be there for the birth um, of my grandson, Teo, but then um, they were going to move shortly after that, about, you know, four months old. And so, they're there, and they're loving it. Uh, I definitely think that, I mean, God knows, obviously, but I foresee them living there and raising their kids there. They, they love being overseas. That was not my plan. And I do, in a sense, feel like that was my dream. And I handed, someone else gets to be the grandmother. So the other part of this is that his parents lead the parish church. And I love you, Carol McGurk, if you listen to this. Um, she's amazing. But she's living my dream. But God's plan is better. And it's better than mine. 
Now, I'm not there all the time, 100%, but it's taking me a while, and I, I get there when I need to get there. Because God knows what she needs, God knows what Teo needs, God knows what I need. And this is it. And it's not my plan. I had to give it away. I mean, I really had no power in it all. But <laughs> in my heart, I had to let go of it. Um, and so I want to move on here a little bit more, a little bit deeper into David's heart. We're going to look in First Chronicles 29, starting in verse 10. This is David's prayer right after he's told no, right after he gives away the plans, his dreams, his goals, he lets it all go, and right before he dies. This is a significant prayer. I want you to really listen to it, let it resonate, and really pull from it what you think God is telling you about David here. 29, starting in verse 10. David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and on earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give thanks and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you. And we have given you only what comes from our hand. We are foreigners and strangers in your sight as were all our ancestors. Our days on earth are like a shadow without hope. Lord our God, all the abundance that we have, that we have provided for the building, you, a temple for your holy name, comes from your hand. It belongs to you. I know my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. All these things I have given willingly and will honest and with honest intent. And now I have seen the joy, how willingly your people who are here have given to you. Lord, the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, keep these desires and thoughts in our hearts of your people forever. Keep our hearts loyal to you and give my son Solomon the wholehearted devotion to keep your commands, statuses, and decrees, and to do everything to build this platical structure in which I have provided. Then David says to the whole assembly, praise the Lord your God. So they all praised the Lord and God of their fathers. They bowed down, prostrated themselves before the Lord, the king. Wow. This is a beautiful heart. Some of David's last recorded words. He died shortly after this. What a fitting way to end your life. What a way to die. What does David teach us here? What does he show us? How can we respond in this same way, even if we're disappointed, even when we're grieved, discouraged, devastated? What does David teach us? He teaches us how to be a woman after God's own heart. So point one, the first thing that, God, that David teaches us here is to know and trust God. David knew God. It's very obvious. He trusted his plan. This was the grounding point, the place he always went back to. He remembered. 
He remembered what God had done. He remembered the yeses. There weren't always no's. He remembered where God had brought him from and what he had allowed him to do in his life. He knew of his goodness. God is always good. He cannot be anything else. He was aware of God's authority in his life. He lived for God. God reigned in his heart. He remembered the promises, the purposes for his life. God was a man of his word. Matthew 7, 7 says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receive. He who seeks, find. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will you give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will you give him a snake? If then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give you good gifts? Ladies, God is always good, and he always gives good gifts. So... God is good, and uh, I wanted to talk and share just a little bit about that. I've had some yeses in my life. I've had uh, some laters in my life, not now, wait, and um, most recently I've had some noes in my life. Oh dear, Polly, I told you not to come, <laughs> and Sandy too. There's several here. I told specifically not to come. Um, God, God said no. Uh, I was married in my 30s, and honestly, I was surrendered at that point that I may never get married. Um, and I was okay with that, that if I never got married, I knew I wanted to make it to heaven. Singles, you want to make it to heaven. It doesn't matter. Nothing else matters. Um, and really, that's the point that I got to, is I want to get to heaven, so if a husband comes if he doesn't come I don't care if he comes he better get me to heaven that was my dad's only question to him by the way um and I was married in my 30s which was really incredible but I look back at my singlehood and all the traveling that I did my older sister was married when she was 21 ish and um and she would just look at my younger sister and I as we're traveling around the world and be like why can't I go? In fact, we took a sibling's trip with this Mandy. My sister is Mandy, and she was jealous. Like, why can't I go on that sibs trip? But she was married with kids. And so there's a lot of life that I lived in my singlehood that I'm really grateful for um, that I wouldn't have had if I had been married right away. So that was a not now wait, and that was okay. Um, uh, Five-ish years ago, my husband and I moved abroad. We moved to Cambodia for two years. Uh, we left really good jobs and good opportunities and moved to Cambodia. And in coming back, we just very much believed God's going to provide for us. And God always provides for us, but not in the way that we think. I was unemployed for six months. And I've been underemployed for two years. Um, and yet, in this past year, year and a half, God has really blessed me with an incredible job. Um, a really incredible job that has positioned me and poised me professionally um, more than I could imagine but during that two and a half year desert <laughs> I'm like God I, I sacrificed I even you know I gave up a great job and now we're living in my parents basement which I love you mom thank you <laughs> um, but 
you know, that's the reality that we're in um, with the not not nows. Uh, my no is children, and that's been the most recent. Um, and this is why I told people not to come to this class. Um, Trisha even brought tissues. Uh, but it's been a four-year four-year battle, uh, multiple surgeries, multiple failed treatments, and um, and it's our no. The doctors say it's our no, and. What do you do with that? You know, how do you get through that? God is good. God is always good. But we have to take these opportunities to trust God and trust in his will and trust in his plan for our lives. Um, I felt very much like David after this last treatment uh, when we got the results. It's always fun to have a doctor call you and tell you you're not pregnant. Um, but we, I got off the phone and I thought, okay, well, we have our answer. And so I feel like I've got to pick myself up and keep moving. And I've got to trust. I've got to trust in God's will for my life. Um, and I felt like David. David got up and ate, you know, and I was like, I can have coffee again. Uh, there are many things, you know, but just... Getting up from that moment and saying, God's in control, and I'm going to trust God beyond all of this. Um, I think one of the biggest things that I realized is that my no is not an indictment from God on my relationship with him. I think a lot of times um, we can hear the no and think it's about our, oh dear, um, and think it's about um, us and our faith. And it's not. It has nothing to do with us and our faith and has everything to do with God's will for our life. But we can't see God's will for our life if we're not willing to trust him. Point two is um, what we see in David is he stayed humble. And, um, you know, David knew who he was before God. He knew his place. He knew God was bigger. And he had a humble view of himself. You hear that resonate through his prayer. He was self-aware, and he saw his need for God and his mercy and his grace. He knew that he deserved nothing but had been given everything by God. You know, in 2 Corinthians 12, Starting in verse 1. You don't have to turn there. I'm just going to reference it. But it's the whole um, Paul and his vision in the thorn. And he's, he's going back and forth. And I'll just, I'll just hit um, in 8 where it says, Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, No, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, difficulties, and no's. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You know, sometimes the answer is no just to keep us humble. Sometimes the thorns are there to keep us humble. 
We're so proud. <laughs> it's just our default. To remind us of our desperate need for God, his sovereignty. You know, we pray more when we have the nails, when we have the hardships, when we have the thorns. When it's going easy, we pray less. It just is what it is. That's part of it. His grace is necessary. It's what we need. His power is made perfect in our weakness. So I appreciate this and I hate this all in the same, right? Like God, God gives us a thorn to keep us humble. And yet um, my younger sister put me onto this book. It's called Humility. Um, and it's a quick read. You can get it online. It's a, a guy by the name of Andrew Murray. It's I, from the 1600s. I don't, it's quite old, um, but it's amazing. And he talks about this humility and that humility is total and utter dependence on God. And that's the state that we're supposed to be in on a, always on a regular basis. Um, it's so easy when we're going through hard times, when we're weak, it's so easy to rely on God. Um, but when we're feeling stronger, it's so easy to put God at the wayside. And so God will do whatever he can to bring us back to center with our eyes focused on him. This past year, I've actually been through a lot of health issues, not just fertility treatments, if you could believe it. Um, and uh, I've never really struggled with fear and anxiety, but man has this year uh, just about done me in. And, um, and I think about my prayers this past year. I mean, I have clung to God. <laughs> I have clung to God. Um, there are days where I'm like, I can read one verse from one psalm, and that's all I can handle today. <laughs> and I am going to cling to God with my little verse, and we're going to make it through the day. And there are other days where I'm like, I'm feeling strong. I'm two chapters in. Go, God. <laughs> Um, so, side note, I think we have to meet each other and meet ourselves where we're at. And that that's okay. Um, as long as you're fighting, that's okay. It's when we stop fighting that there's a problem. Um, but I, Philippians 4 has really transformed me. And we all think of Philippians 4 and we're like, that's right, don't be anxious. No. It goes on and it says that, may God give you a peace that surpasses your understanding. And I have clung to that this year, that God give me a peace beyond my understanding of my current realities, because I seriously don't understand what's happening here and why it's happening. Um, and God has completely come through. Every moment that I have prayed for peace, I am like, Phew. every moment that I have prayed for peace, God gives you peace. What I've found is as I've started to heal physically and heal emotionally, um, P.S., it's okay to grieve. Yes. We need to grieve. Yeah. We also need to allow ourselves time. Thank you, Sandy Haltine, for that. She taught me that very early on, and I'm very grateful. Um, but now I forgot my point. We've got to cling to God. I don't know. Now I'm done. <laughs> We're going to... Grieve, yeah. No, it's gone now. The spirit has worked. <laughs> we, oh, so in the past year, now I remember. So um, in the past few months as I've started to heal and grieve, um, I've noticed myself getting more and more independent of God. And 
that came to a, a head this past week as I'm trying to like grasp all the many things in my life and I'm trying to like bring, okay, I've got this. And God's like, no, you don't have this at all. And it's a great reminder to me that I have to stay focused on God. I have to stay just as reliant and dependent and completely dependent on God as I did earlier on in the year when things were much tougher than they are now. And uh, the third point is it's all about perspective. It's not about us in any way, shape, or form. This life is just not about us. We are a speck, a grain of sand, in the big, giant picture that God has designed. There's always something bigger at work, a grander plan, a bigger picture, and we have to fight to see it. You know, we may not ever know the answers. And, and I, I think about Jesus. In Matthew 26, uh, 36 through 46, we're just going to kind of uh, reference it. But if you get a chance, go back. You know the story. It's Jesus in the garden. And he goes and he prays and he prays and he prays. The, the significance about Jesus is he knows the outcome. He knows the answer. He knows, but he's still wrestling. He's still wrestling here of if it is at all possible, take this from me. But not my will but your will. And that's where we get lost. <laughs> you know, if it's at all, please heal, you know, whatever it is, we're praying and we're begging, but sometimes we skip the will part yeah. that if it's not your will, but my will. And I think about the big picture here. Um, you know, one, the key is prayer. Jesus kept praying. He kept going back until he got his heart right. You know, he went and exchanged his own desires and his own hopes for God's will. You know, we've got to exchange our thoughts for God's thoughts, our plans for his plans. Jesus had to do it. He had to pray three times. Whoa, and he was Jesus. <laughs> we have to go so much more. So what does it mean for us? You know, the outcome, no matter what it is, it's always best for us. No matter what it is, it's better. It's merciful. Mm -hmm. David's first no led to his son dying. But step back, the bigger picture we just read. Solomon's born. He becomes king and he passes on his dream to him. Who could have ever designed or seen that but God alone? Mm -hmm. You know, Jesus knew the outcome of his prayer. He knew what the no meant, but we don't. He still requested another way, but the answer was no. You know, sometimes no is someone else's yes. And when you look at this, you think this, his no was our salvation. It's the reason why we're in this room right now, together, in his kingdom. It's the bigger picture. God is always in, in control, and he knows what's best. I've never made that connection that... Uh, I've always clung to, always, this past year, I've really clung to David's prayer. You know, he, his son did not make it. He got up. He grieved. He went on. And, you know, the rest of that scripture says he lay with his wife, and then she got pregnant with Solomon. And then you fast forward to what we read at the beginning, which is Solomon taking on this dream. Like, God planned that. God planned that. Even through the no, God was like, but just... I have something else, and here's the something else. 
And I think one of the things that I've really learned um, in the past few months with my no is that, okay, so if kids isn't for us, what is? What is God's will for my life? To dream differently and maybe even dream bigger than we have before. Um, And that's what we have to do to really seek God's will. Be willing to do that because if I put myself in this, what if God doesn't want me to have children? What if he doesn't want me to? What does he want me to do? Why would I go against his will with that then? Um, I think about, uh, we moved to Cambodia, and I really believed when we moved to Cambodia, we would give a lot and get a lot, and it was such an incredible experience, but one of my good friends was already living there, and um, I really believed that we were going to be family for her. I just... I knew in my heart that this was so much bigger, that God is so much bigger than just me going and getting this experience, that I was going to be able to go so that she could have this incredible experience as well, but that I could be family for her. Um, And I think about even within my current no, I never saw for myself being a poster child for infertility or a poster child for what are you going to do with your, I mean, we're still in the young marrieds and because we don't fit. I mean, and there are many of us in this room that are like, we don't fit in our ministry, which side point, we need to figure that out. Um, (laughs) But really, you know, like it's, so what am I, what are we going to do? We've got to be willing to dream differently, to dream uh, bigger But I think, too, what Tricia was talking about, we have to take time in prayer to really align our hearts with God's will. Because otherwise, what are we doing? We're just doing our will for our life. Um, So I wanted to end here, too, and I know we have (laughs) two minutes left, um, with a message for how do we deal with people who've been told no? Because just as passionately as I feel like we need to have conversations about when we've been told no, we need to learn how to be there for each other in the no. We have really amazing hearts and we want to give and love and give hope and God is awesome and he's going to work this out. But what we do when we do that in the no is we actually hurt people. We hurt their faith. We somehow make them feel like their no is a result of their relationship with God. And it's not. It's not. Um, A couple of scriptures that have been tossed my way in the past year. um, Psalm 37, 4. God's going to give you the desire of your heart. Uh, Go back and read that scripture. (laughs) The beginning of that psalm actually talks about, God, take care of my enemies. Take care of my enemies. Give us the desires of our heart, right? So it's out of, we've got to stop using scriptures out of context. In fact, shouldn't the desire of my heart be heaven? Shouldn't we direct each other to heaven? Not the treasures of this world. Jeremiah 29, 11, don't get me started. (laughs) We're talking about 70 years in captivity. Don't worry. I have a plan for you in 70 years. If you're going to give anybody a scripture, go back to verses 4 through 10 that talk about, despite all of this, continue to live your life. 
It's going to be great, (laughs) right? That's what, in the desert. (laughs) That's what we should be sharing with each other. Um, Things like, don't worry, you're meant to be a mom. Never a good thing to say to anybody who are going through something like I have. Uh, Saying to somebody with cancer, don't worry, it's going to work out, is never a good thing to say to someone. Because we cannot promise things to each other that God himself has not promised to us. We have to be respectful. We have to be mindful. We have to speak with the words that God has given us to speak. So if we're going to say anything to people, let's maybe say, um, I don't know what God's will is for your life. One of the best text messages I got, and I really tried to find it, was the text I got from Trisha before my last fertility treatment, which was, Christy, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen. But I'll tell you, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. You're going to be okay. You're going to get through this. And we're going to see what God's will is for you. That's actually what we need to give each other. We need to be willing to pray for each other and with each other. We need to be willing to give each other scriptures of hope. um, But not promises that God has never promised us. Um, And most of all, we just need to remind each other that we're not living for this world. We're living for heaven. I've literally walked around this past year singing, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. Right? We all know it. All the time I'm singing that song because my eyes are on heaven. My eyes cannot be on these worldly treasures because quite frankly, they're not going to come with us. Amen. So when God says no, we will be disappointed. We will be discouraged. And at times we might even be devastated. And we will need to grieve. It's very important. But we don't have to stay there, as Christy mentioned. We've got to fight the temptation to withdraw, to shut down, and honestly, to get bitter. We have to fight to stay in touch and stay connected, to pray for the right heart and the right view of God. Remember what he's done. Go back to the remembers, what he's brought you from, his words, his promises, his sovereignty, his love. Look up instead of at your circumstances. Sometimes we just got to look up. We have to fight to stay humble. See who we are before God and our desperate need for him every single day. We need his mercy. We need his grace. And believe that God is enough. He truly, truly is enough. We've got to fight for the right perspective. It's never, ever about us. There is always a bigger picture at play here. It's grander, and it's beyond measure. It's beyond what we can comprehend. For us, it means eternity in heaven. With God, the no's, they're getting us there. The no's are what are getting us to heaven. David shows us how to be a woman after God's own heart. He surrenders his will to God's. He submits to God's authority in his life, and he rejoices in God alone. Nothing else matters but God. Amen? Amen. Amen.